All right, welcome back to a new episode of The Hang. This, my name is Nick Finzer. I'm here with Alan Blanchard and our special guest for this week, Mr. Adam Larson. What's up, Adam? Thanks for being here. Hey, thanks a lot for having me. Uh, we are, you know, just going to kind of talk a little bit about what Adam's up to and kind of touch on, you know, a bunch of different topics in the next uh, 30 minutes or so. So, uh, Adam, for the you know small percentage of our listenership that maybe doesn't know who you are, could you give them you know a brief overview of who you are, where you're from, and kind of what you're up to? Yeah, sure. So, uh, I grew up in Illinois, and then I went to uh, Manhattan School of Music after high school, and I lived in New York for the past 11 years. Um, I'm a saxophone player uh, and composer, and um, I moved to Kansas City about two and a half months ago. Um, I'll be uh, starting a, a new collegiate teaching position at University of Missouri Kansas City Conservatory um, in about uh, yeah in about a week uh, and a half. And um, yeah, uh, uh, that's about all you need to know. I think. <laughs> I think that's a little bit of an understatement. I think uh, you are uh, also a kind of prolific. Uh, person touring artist and doing all kinds of clinics and workshops and entrepreneur and book writing books and all kinds of stuff i think you're being he's just being a little bit uh humble there i think but so i understand so alan and adam how did you guys meet i think somehow you met at fsu or something yeah i was um you know i was uh at fsu in april i think that's correct and um yeah i met alan there uh and had a good chance to to hang and talk about music and did a master class at the university and taught some lessons and so on and so forth. Yeah. I mean, so, it was all my chance. <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, what kind of, I know you do that all the time, Adam. So like, how did you get into that circuit of doing so many uh, workshops and clinics and visiting schools and stuff? Like, how did you get into that from transitioning from student at MSM to you know, now where you're at now. Sure. I mean, I think it's important to work on the grinds and, you know, the music business part of it while you're in school. And that's one of the things that I tell everybody that I go and do those master classes. Uh, you know, I tell the student body that it's, it's important to be a great musician, of course, but it's really important to think about what you're going to do to, you know, survive after you are no longer a student. So uh, when I was at Manhattan School, um, I was actively pursuing, you know, uh, as many leads as I could, both in education and performance, because that's where I feel like I have, um, you know, the uh, highest success rate for for making an impact. And so um, uh, I grew up in a musical family and my parents are both musical, uh, both music educators, excuse me. Um, so, you know, like anything, kind of start with who you know and people that trust uh, uh, what you do and, and are willing to try to give you a a shot at doing, you know, uh, something like that, like an, like a master class or a clinic. So, um, over the course of the past decade or a little bit longer, um, I've spent a considerable amount of time of each of my day, just trying to make sure that I'm, uh, you know, as, as you, as you do too, you know, uh, just trying to take care of, of some of the business, uh, things. So was that something that was like preached to you by some of your, you know, mentors, or was that something you kind of came to, of your own accord it was kind of hardwired into me um by the time i got to college because my father uh we played together every weekend um when i was uh, a teenager and when i turned 15 he basically told me that i need to start booking the gigs for myself um which was a really really good uh practical skill to force me to deal with at such a young age 
um, because it's really important that, you know, uh, you're able to be articulate uh, with whoever you might be trying to pitch to, you know, whether it's in performance or education. And, um, you know, a lot of my teachers at MSM, you know, they're the most amazing musicians in the world and they have really great careers. So I certainly was able to look at some of the things that they were doing and try to set my, my sights on, on the same type of successes. But, um, you know, by and large, uh, there wasn't a whole lot of, um, there wasn't a whole lot of talk about that in the curriculum uh, necessarily. There was a jazz business class that I took my very first semester and I'm glad I did. Um, it was taught by Karen Kennedy who manages Stefan Harris and Kenny Barron and James Francis and some other really good artists. Um, so I took that my first semester and then it got canceled. Um, and it never existed again. And then my senior year, there was a whole restructuring, uh, of what they called the center for music entrepreneurship at MSM. Um, which, you know, uh, I think is a really great thing that exists now, but like I said, it came in like the second semester of my senior year. So um, I think it's important that if you have an opportunity as a student to, to take a music business class, or even if you're forced to take one, you know, that's uh, it's totally for your benefit, you know, um, because I find that, and I'm sure you do too, but I find that most students are, and rightfully so, you know, like really concerned about becoming, you know, like uh uh, a superior musician, which is, of course, you have to be a great musician, but I think it's, you know, even more important sometimes, uh, or at least certainly equally as important to have some type of uh, business acumen being developed alongside of it. Oh, well, yeah, I mean, I totally agree. I think, I guess you probably could have guessed that, but uh, <laughs> I was having this conversation with other people sort of recently, maybe a couple of months ago, but how much do you think that as a, like a, and a musical entrepreneur is like learning that stuff in the classroom or actually just going out and doing it. Cause I kind of have like a mixed feeling about like classroom music entrepreneurship uh, classes. Cause I feel like it's, you could spend all that time in the class or you could spend that same amount of time going and putting together a project or booking a tour or something. So where, where do you kind of land on that? I mean, I agree with you. I think the problem lies in that like most, not every student is going to be as gung ho about it as you as you or I. And I think that for the students who are going to be as gung ho about it, you know, as what you just described, they're going to do all that irrespective of taking a class or not. But for the student who like just says, I'm going to be a great musician and the rest is going to take care of itself. Like that's who needs to actually be in the class and thinking about it, I think, um, you know, or at least being, I guess, force is the word I've used already. But like, you know, really kind of, uh, uh you know, yeah, I guess forced to, to deal with that side of it. You know, I mean, that that would, to me, would be common sense that you'd have to go out, you know, and you, and you do, you have to go out and like do all the stuff in the real world. But I think for some students, you know, it's, it's so far in the periphery of what they're trying to deal with every day that I think it's good to have some kind of structure to say, hey, like, here's some things that you should really have together. And if you don't, like, here's why, and here's where you can go and like work on these same skills uh, in the real world. And so as I just designed my syllabus for my music business class that I'll be teaching in the fall, um, I tried to have it be kind of equal parts of what you're describing. You know, like you can get a little bit uh, out of some of the topics by just being in the class, but of course you're going to get way more out of, you know, learning how to book a gig if you actually go to the club and meet the guy who books the, you know, the, the club. Right. I can tell you who it is. You know, that's like pretty easily accessible information from anybody. You know, but until you go out and you actually interface with people, you know, I think that obviously there, there's there's something to be said for both, I think, you know. 
Yeah, no, totally. So, I mean, I don't want you to have to give away or describe the whole thing, but could you give us kind of the overview? Like, what are you going to focus on in that class? I remember seeing a Facebook post and being excited about some of the people that you were bringing. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I just want to expose, um, you know, uh, the students in this. We only have a semester uh, for the class. So, you know, in 14 weeks or, or you know, maybe maybe a little bit less, um, I want to try to get them thinking about uh, a lot of different things, you know, things that, that, again, I wasn't necessarily aware of until I had to deal with it in the real world. You know, so um, I found that some people don't even know, for instance, what a publicist is, or maybe they don't know how to file their taxes, um, being a finance musician or Maybe they're not, you know, that, there seems to be a lot of questions uh, about like, you know, how to be on a record label and like, you know, th this, these kind of things that um, uh, I think by having some of the special special guest speakers that I'm going to have during the class, hopefully it'll, it'll at least kind of get their, uh, you know, their, their, their minds thinking uh, about these uh, different topics, you know, um, and, and try to suss out for each of them if I can, because it's a small class, maybe 10 kids, you know, or students, I should say. Um, try to try to you know really take time to to dig into what it is that they want to achieve you know um seems like in music uh especially in schools too like nobody wants to talk about uh the money part of all this you know like how do you actually make money and and how much did you charge and like what do you want to earn per year and like how do you achieve those goals and so if i can try to start you know uh vague like you know, what, how much money do you want to make, you know, and then try to work my way back from there with each student and figure out, okay, how are you going to, how are you going to be, you know, be able to support yourself? Um, because nobody ever just like shook me by the shoulders in college and was like, you have to support yourself in like, you know, eight semesters. How are you going to do it? Like, nobody said that. It was more like, okay, like if you're good, cool. If you're not like, okay, that's fine too. You know, here's the door. Um, so I would like to try to, you know, believe that I'm going to be able to give uh, a lot of time to each student individually to try to help them at least put together some kind of practical, um, you know, uh, list of things that they can try to be achieving to to sustain some kind of um, independence, you know, as a musician. Because I, I say this sometimes in master classes and it, to me, in the wrong context, maybe it sounds like, wow, that's really arrogant or maybe that's really intense. But like, if you go to, school to get a performance degree like you're not going there to like work a coffee job after you graduate like no but that's not it's nobody's aspiration to practice like an insane amount of hours to go you know work at a coffee shop if you if you have to do that like that's fine but like i would hope that if i asked everybody in a performance track in a room like why are you here nobody would raise their hand and say because i want to work at a coffee store you know so like and i think that the I think that if you think about all this stuff as you're also going through all the other curriculum that nobody has to so anyway, that's probably a long answer to your question, but you can tell I'm, I'm passionate about the topic. No, that's good. That's that's why I wanted to hear about what you had to say. Sure. Well, it's great um, coming from like your perspective, because like, I, I mean, in my experience, at least being fresh out of school, like the business classes you get is either it's basically summed up into like, here's how it ideally works out for like some pop star that signed, you know, or here's like some arts administration. You don't ever really get the perspective of the freelance musician, you know, which is obviously what the majority of people are doing nowadays. Like there isn't some huge industry of like everyone's getting signed to Columbia and they're taking care of stuff for you. Yeah, totally. And that's what I tell people too, is like, you know, there's going to be instances, you know, maybe, maybe, you know, people where it, it appears from the outside that like there's some magic, you know, a career fairy dust who just like pops in and sprinkles it over somebody and, 
everything's taken care of it for them. But like in my time in, in I was there at MSM for six years and in my time there, I can think of like four individuals who that maybe appeared like it was, it was, it was such, but like the thing that people don't want to acknowledge, they don't recognize is that even if it does appear that way, there's a tremendous amount of work that goes beyond, you know, behind each of those success stories. So like, and on top of that, I always talk to, you know, I, I caution people too. It's like, if you put all of your chips on the, uh, if you're banking on just like the mute, like you being the greatest musician, like it could work out for you. But if, you know, at, at the, at the whim of the band leader, they could snap their fingers and say, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to have your instrument in the band anymore. And like, at, at that point, like, I hope you saved a lot of money and, or I hope you know how to do the business side yourself, because if not, then you're going to be, you know, in the same position as everybody else who hasn't thought about the music. I mean, uh, the music, the, the business part of it. Um, that makes any sense. Yeah, completely. Yeah. I mean, I, can, I would agree to the same thing, you know, if it goes to still holds true from, you know, my experience at Juilliard. There's like, you know, two people, three people that I can think of that had that same experience that you were just talking about. And it's like, yeah. And there's so much, there's so many other people that need to figure out how they're going to make a life in the, in the music. Anyway, not to just uh, pontificate about the same, the same topic. It's important. Well, man, can you, um, I mean, to kind of talk less of like how we use it in education, like I know you guys were talking about this a little bit before uh, we started, um, you know, you just moved to Kansas City and you had been in New York for whatnot. And of course, like uh, Nick and I have talked about this, like it's kind of it helps when you stay in the area of where you went to school because school is helping introduce you to people in the area and you have that time to to get acclimated. Can you uh, speak a little bit like what was it for you moving to a new area? Like what were the first things you did? And I mean, I know it's a little different because like you're, you're already an established like killing player, but you know, you still have to do the same hustle everyone else does. Sure. Well, you know, I think a couple of things too, you know, like my move to Kansas city was as much predicated on my family situation, you know, having two young kids and, and just looking around and, and my wife and I are like this apartment, you know, is no longer going to, uh, no longer going to like be what we want it to be to raise two kids. Uh, it was as much as that as it was like, you know, I have a lot of roots in the Midwest and I knew that if I moved to Kansas city, I'd instantly have as many friends there, if not more than I do, uh, than I did in New York. And so, you know, you're right. Whenever you go to a new city, regardless of, of where you're at in your career, you know, it's, uh, it would behoove you to, to go out and do all the things that you would do as if though you've never done it before. So like, you know, I haven't gone out to a show every single night, you know, for like three weeks in a row since before I met my wife, you know, because, uh, I just, I, there's, I haven't had the time, I guess, you know, but, um, also like I invested an enormous amount of my time when I was younger in New York doing exactly what I just said, because that's how I was able to meet a bunch of people and, and, uh, you know, start to put together, um, a whole list of people that inspired me that I could play music with. And so, that's exactly what I did when I moved to Kansas City. You know, I got here Memorial Day weekend and like the entire month of June, thankfully I was mo mostly around and I went out to, you know, as many shows as I could possibly uh, go and check out and meet people. And, you know, that's the advice I would give to anybody moving to any different areas. Like, uh, you know, I mean, practicing uh, is super important, but also like if, if nobody knows about you, like then it's not a really, um, beneficial thing for you long term and you can get really dark and bitter you know and i think we've probably all been there at some point in some respect i know i have you know where it's like man why does this person 
on this gig or whatever. And it's like, well, probably because they can play, first of all, hopefully. And secondly, because they're out there being seen, you know. Um, and if they're doing that and you're not, then that's part of that's a huge part of the equation. You know, just just being visible and letting people get to know you as a person and as a player. So that's what I did when I moved here. I just, you know, and I continue to try to go out as much as I can um, just to, to continue to meet people and, and uh, like I said, develop the same kind of network of musicians that I, that I did in, uh, in New York. So, I mean, so looking... now that you've kind of, oh, go ahead, Nick, no interrupting Alan. No, no, ahead, I was Nick. going to say, um, now that you've kind of come out of not, not full circle, but as a person with, you know, a New York experience and moving on to something else now, what do you say to students that ask you, do I need to go to New York or should I move to LA or where should I go? Uh, I know at least in master classes, that's something that comes up for me. I, I would imagine it has come up for, for you in the past too. Sure. I mean, you know, my, per my perspective on it, I think is pretty well informed, but it's also maybe a step backwards from what I thought, you know, 11 years ago when I moved out there, I think that, uh, you know, in that time I've worked with like, probably no exaggeration, hundreds of students, you know, privately and in the masterclass um, setting too. And um, I just think about what it took for me uh, to exist in New York. And, and my first two years of college were so brutal that I almost quit. Um, I, I applied to, to transfer to go to Columbia and study psychology. Like I was completely ready to quit saxophone because it was just so intense um, for me to go from normal Illinois to New York City. Um, and so like looking back on it, couple things I would think about telling people one like New York is uh, New York is never not going to be there you know it's it's always going to be available to you and um, there's nothing that says that you have to go there uh, fresh out of you know uh, high school um, and so I think the thing that, that that gets lost sometimes in translation when you when you as a young student when you're going on tours and stuff is like the psychological component of going to any major city whether it's LA or Chicago or New York but there really is nothing like New York, you know, as far as the can like how much competition there is on your instrument, um, you know, just the, the the amount of music you can experience. So I think you have to be in like a really strong uh, uh, headspace because living in New York is as much about mental stamina as it is anything else. Um, so like I, I caution all my students a couple of things. Like if you're going to New York for school, uh, you know, obviously having a conversation about how much debt you're willing to take on or not is, is probably one of the first ones you should be talking about before you talk about like, you know, I want to go here because of X, Y, or Z. That's something that long-term will derail, derail you, especially being a freelance musician, like quicker than anything else. So um, I think if you, if you go to New York, uh, it's important to go to New York, certainly to get the most out of this music, I think at some point. So if you can, I think it's good to live here. Is it necessary? Like right out of high school, Absolutely not. Um, in fact, there's a lot of other cities where, you know, I'll put it this way. If I wasn't in the position where I was with my playing, which I thought was, um, you know, it, it, schools were saying it was strong enough for me to get in. So that was one box that was checked. Um, the business stuff I had been working on for four years already. So I feel like I'm pretty confident about that. Uh, and then I had full scholarship. So like that was the, that was the, the final nail in the coffin as far as me going out to MSM um, as a teenager. But if you're looking at colleges and you're trying to get you know, like one of those three together, I think that you can go to a lot of other programs where you can be working on, you know, like, you know, you're playing and you're working on the, the, the business side and, you know, maybe you can get some more bread somewhere else. Um, and it's, uh, it, it sets you up better for success when you decide to move to any major market. Nice. 
Uh, Alan, what else you what else you got for for our man Adam here? No, I mean I think that's that's really interesting to talk about with New York because that's a question that I try and uh, ask people when we do these interviews because I think it's like Nick said like it's the age old question that everyone always gets asked you know like everyone um, thinks of it as like this ideological place and I think you kind of described it in a good way like it is um, like like it does offer a lot just because of the nature of what it is but you know that's not anyone saying like that is the only way. Um, to do this. Like I've talked to some people out there in Kansas city and they, you know, there's a lot of music happening there and there's a lot of music happening in, in Nashville and, and new Orleans, obviously in LA, but it's just recognizing that each thing kind of has their, their own thing. And, you know, it doesn't have to be in New York, but that, you know, I don't think anyone's ever in a position where it's like, you have to be in New York to, to, to do it. You know, you just have to, do it for, for lack of a better word. Like you can learn how to book a gig anywhere, you know? Totally. And those skills are transferable wherever you go, you know? And, um, one of the best examples of like not going to New York straight away that I can think of is Matt Wilson. You know, he went to Wichita state and, uh, then he went to Boston, then he went to New York, you know? And, uh, I don't think anybody cares that he went to Wichita state for college. You know, like I think it's another thing too, the younger students, you know, they got to be seeing like the, uh, the long term a little bit, which is so hard because I remember being that age and I'm sure you guys do too. It's like nothing mattered to me more than, you know, where I'm going to college, my, uh, my first and second semester of my senior year. But like now if I look back on it, it's like, man, what was I stressing about? You know, did it like me going to Manhattan school music, the way to put it, like, I think it has a little bit of bearing on, on maybe the things that I book in the educational realm, maybe, but I don't know. I'm, it doesn't, you know, you guys know this. It's not like you show up to Smalls Jazz Club and you're like, here's my diploma. Like, where's my gig? That's not how this works, you know? So I don't know if it matters so much where you go to school, especially for your undergrad, either locationally or otherwise, you know, name brand school, off brand school, who cares? I mean, as long as you become a good musician and you work on other stuff, you know, you, you can, uh, you know, like you said, you can do that kind of stuff anywhere. I think the thing that New York offers you better than anywhere else is just the diversity of, amazing musicians in every genre you know in every instrument like you know you can call 100 people before you get to somebody where it's like the 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 the, the um musicianship takes like a severe dip you know right and yeah you know here's uh here's a question i kind of got for both of you because you, you both are i think are pretty similar in the way that you've approached um education like you you both hustle that like really hard and not necessarily through like like you didn't do the route of like, let me go through school and then let me start teaching at school immediately, you know? Um, but it was still something very mm -hmm. active in both of your guys' careers. Um, I guess first to start is what advice do you have for that musician? Because I know like I literally just finished my master's in May um, and I've talked about it a lot with Nick is then like, you know, one of some of the first places you start looking for jobs like you're taught in school, you know, is looking at like higher ed jobs or something. But most of the jobs that we would get offered um, at least at, at my level is going to put you in a spot where the, it's not the best situation most likely for playing. Um, how did you guys, uh, uh, balance that after school? Because like, whereas you would love the stability of a job and you love teaching and you want, you want to start, you know, working on that skill, start getting connected in that skill. You also got to balance like, well, that's also going to uh, take a hit on my playing, you know? Nick, I'll let you go first. Okay. Um, I kind of never thought about it that way, 
actually. Uh, I, I guess the playing I always assumed would just take care of itself. Uh, I guess, you know, when I was teaching in Florida or I'm now teaching in Texas, I don't necessarily think of it as the place where I'm going to gig all the time or play because I know I'm going to go and play, you know, in New York or I'm going to go on tour with such and such person. And so um, I think that it's important to, you know, at the same time, like be really specific about your goals and where you want to head. It's like sometimes you have to balance that direction with the direction of kind of going along with, you know, the flow, you don't, you can't, you can only, you know, go upstream for so long before you kind of burn out. So trying to be open to making the most out of different situations and kind of saying, you know, saying like, this is what I'm doing for now. And there's nothing that says that this is forever. And uh, just kind of going and making the best out of all the situations. I, I mean, for me, that's, you know, you're getting some kind of great experience from any situation, whether it's in, you know, the, the mountains in Idaho or, you know, in New York, you're going to find something that's going to force you to get better. I mean, one of the great things that I found about like touring my records without, without my band and going on myself is, you know, it really helped me to learn how to put, put a band on your own shoulders and kind of pull everyone along, you know, as the, the leader, as the, you know, a horn player trying to like elevate the level of maybe some players you've never played with before that maybe don't play with the same kind of energy or intensity as you're used to in New York. And I don't know. So I think no matter where you go, I, I don't think you have to look at it as like not as good or whatever. It's just a step along the path to me. I'll just add to that, that, you know, you being where you are, Alan, right out of school with a master's, you know, yeah, I mean, maybe there's some things that you're not 100% stoked about doing, but it's a way to, uh, you know, survive musically, which is what we got into, to you know, bro, what, what you got in the game to do, right? Like what I was saying earlier, it's like, so long as it's music, uh, and like Nick was saying, you know, like, there's only so much you can take of one thing before you have to kind of reposition uh, what you want out of your life musically. But I think that what we probably all aspire to is similar. Hopefully like we want to say yes or no to something based on aesthetic, not based on like, do I have to do this? That's a really hard place to get to, you know, because uh, it seems a little bit pampered and it seems, you know, like, well, uh, you know, I mean, it, it's something that doesn't happen overnight either, you know? So and anything that you, that you would get outside of, you know, your first year of being done with a, with your masters or whatever, I think it's like you said, it's just a step in the road. Um, I think on the practical tip too, like having a master's is, uh, I mean, Nick and I are pretty rare examples, I think, you know, and hopefully it's an, it's a new trend. I know at UNT, they have a couple new hires that are just masters in music, which is awesome, you know, that are our age. Um, I think if you look around in most places in the country, it seems like, you know, there's this interesting relationship that exists where it's like the less prestigious or more school, like smaller school, small the school is, excuse me, the more paper they're requiring for you to have an opportunity to teach there and the more prestigious or name brand the school the less paper i think that's always been the the case but um my hiring at umkc is like you know i didn't move here because of the job i moved here because i wanted a, a slower pace of life and then that happened randomly after the fact and i only have a master's too so i have to hope that the trend you know like of having a master's uh is hopefully uh gonna gonna keep getting people hired that are a little bit younger um, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. Uh, I'm pretty like Nick, I, I've always been good at balancing my time. And there's certainly a lot of times that over the course of this coming year where I'll be in and out of the school, but I think I'm, I know I'm very thankful to have the, the position that I've 
been given, you know, because hopefully I'll be able to make some kind of impact. And it would kind of, again, maybe if I get in a semester, semester into it, just like maybe you get in a semester of teaching wherever, you know, uh, it'll, it'll, again, hopefully cause you to think about, okay, how do I want to proceed with this part of what I do going forward? Do I like this? Do I not? You know, so on and so forth. Now, something that I think is is this is also kind of an interesting point to ask you guys because I don't think many people have done this, or at least that I've talked to. Uh, and excuse my ignorance. If so, you, now you both are authors, um, and that's a really interesting thing because when I think of of writing a music book, like you know, I I didn't necessarily work out of a lot of books. So like the first thing that comes to mind is like, well, what do I have to say that isn't in like the Arbin's book? You know, so mm-hmm. there's that, um, and I feel. And we've talked about it some in school that the the jazz um, um, book, textbook, uh, method book, all of that right now is kind of like really saturated with people putting out a lot of stuff. Um, I guess what made you guys decide that you were like, well, you know what, what I have to say here is first off something that I think is important enough, like let me write a book and then kind of talk about a little bit about that process. Because I know, Adam, you recently just put out another volume of your book. Um, Nick, I know you've been releasing like the, the, the practice books, um, and the practice log books coming out for a while. And like, that's no, uh, small feat by any means. So what was your process with that? And how did you decide you're like, this is something that matters to me and I want to do it. Uh, I'll go first on this one. I mean, to me, I just saw other people, uh, in my peer group doing it and I thought, okay. Uh, what is something that, I, like you said, what is something that I can offer that's not going to already be oversaturated in the market? And there's a bunch of saxophone dorks who want to play high. And uh, so I was like, cool, there's no books that are in jazz literature, really, that force you to play high. Um, you know, the, and there's a lot of them in like all the classical literature, you know, like if Alan, I'm sure that all the classical saxophone majors at FSU, you know, from day one, they're, they're confronting like the higher, you know, altissimo, uh, uh, register the saxophone. So I was like, let me try to write something uh, that uh, kills a lot of birds with one stone. Like people don't want to confront the hard part of uh, the circle, you know, key wise. So let's write some things and some goofy keys. Um, people don't uh, maybe uh, have an understanding of how to connect their entire instrument on the saxophone from bottom to top in a way that feels like it's truly fluid. So these are kind of some of the, th- the thoughts I had. And I said, okay, well, let me just write some things, uh, you know, and, and see if I can make a book out of it. And then I had no, no, uh, you know, I, I didn't intend for the book to do so well, I guess. It's, I mean, that's a weird thing to say, but I guess I wasn't expecting it as a better way to put it for the book to do so well. So I uh, put that one out, Leaps and Sounds. Then I did volume two pretty shortly after. And then I put out a vocabulary book two months ago called Conversation Starters with, you know, the, the, the Leaps and Sounds book. It's an A2 book. It's pretty specific to saxophone players. Um, and the, the scope is pretty specific too. Like I said, that's why I wanted to try to make a resource that I didn't see really readily available necessarily. Um, you know, uh, and it did really well. And the, the vocabulary book, you know, um, it's done okay, but it's all, I've also put out three books in six months. So there's a little bit of oversaturation of my own doing, but my hope for that long term is that, you know, it's a contemporary companion to other things that are out there, but maybe a little bit of, uh, you know, some contemporary uh, harmonic or intervallic language, you know, um, that might be more applicable to uh, a student of any instrument. Um, so that was really my, my focus. I was inspired by competition, first of all, and then I wanted to try to write something that uh, was different. And, and so I, I did. 
Yeah, that's interesting. I guess my my approach was somewhat different in that I wanted to kind of collect everything that I had been giving out to different students at different times um, into one place because I was giving this handout to this person and this handout to that person and kind of everything was disorganized and all over the place when it was the same thing as I was, you know, sending or giving over and over and over again. So I was like, well, I guess there's a a need for this because I'm saying the same thing every week to all these different students, whether on Skype or in master classes or whatever. So I kind of just took everything basically mostly from the time while I was at Juilliard, but maybe a little bit before that and kind of put it together into one, you know, one book where I could then have it either to give, you know, to, to my own students or for people to be able to, to buy. And so Mine's more like it's not less of a it's not necessarily an etude book, but Adam definitely inspired me to try to start writing some etudes after I uh, started showing his etudes to my students. And by the way, they're super hard on trombone, <laughs> but super good. <laughs> but um, so I kind of just put it together based on um, what I was doing and just seeing a need for that information or that. Uh, my take on the same information, I guess, because I think everyone's filter and point of view is going to present that same information that's already in the Arvin's book or that's already in the literature, like in a slightly different way or in a slightly different order. And I think, you know, that make that connects you to students in a different way and allows for the students to come at the information from, you know, where they're comfortable or from a perspective where they're comfortable because I know, you know, you have to hear the same thing four or five different times sometimes before you understand it. So I think just having your own perspective out there in the world allows people to, you know, check it out on their own and not have to, like, come get lessons with you and stuff like that. So uh, anyway, that's that's kind of why I started making books. Now, at, at risk of being a pot stir here, um, I, look, I th- I've checked out both of you guys' books, uh, you know, a little bit. And, and I'm a huge fan of them. And I have my own set of books that like uh that I go through and whatnot and that I work out of and you know obviously like you pick and choose what you want um out of out of whatever books it's not saying it's uh it's the clear method um what would you guys say though to to the teachers or the instructors or or the mentality that like swear off books because i like I definitely know some people they're like well that you know that's not how I learned like transcriptions are the only way to do it like transcribe and and figure it out yourself on the piano like how do you um you know, deal with that and then also deal with the, the student that expects everything to be out of a book. Like you can give me a handout and like if I shed that handout, I will become the best musician alive mentality. Uh, yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's rough. <laughs> but uh, I'll just quickly say, I think that you have to learn from all the different angles. And I, I mean, I don't care if anyone buys my book or not, but um, if, you, if you're not transcribing, you're not going to learn how to play jazz. And if you don't take advantage of all the resources that are out there, you're also not going to learn how to play. So I'll just leave that's it at that. That's a good way to put it. You know, um, I guess I would just question, like, what is the motive from the teacher? Is it really because they don't like books? Is it because they're unwilling to, like, learn themselves? You know, I mean, that's a – talk about pot stirring. I mean, there's plenty of people I can point to. It's like not only would not using a book be an indication of, like, a whole another set of problems, but it's like I want – there's other things going on there too, you know, in the way that they think about education. So, you know, I, I'm I'm certainly a fan of both 
uh, practices. You know, like I grew up working out of books and I went to college. None of my teachers at college were like, get this book, you know, but it would have been helpful, you know, maybe uh, if they could have suggested a resource that was, I mean, I should say that none of my saxophone uh, teachers did. I had plenty of classroom teachers who, who said, you know, check this book out or this resource or whatever. But um, yeah, I think it's just a difference in teaching style, you know, and uh, yeah, like Nick said, like if you don't do this stuff anyway and you're not using resources that are really available to you, you know, when they could be beneficial, then that's, that's on you. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, Adam, we really appreciate you taking the time to to talk today. Uh, I don't want to keep you too long, but um, just one final thing: could you let people know, you know, like where they can catch up with you, find you on the internet, and like anything else that you want to share that we haven't talked about? You know, we have you, we talked about your three books. And I know you have sure. some CDs coming out. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. First of all, I really appreciate it. Um, glad we could get it uh, lined up. Um, yeah, I mean, if you're interested in checking out any of the books. Uh, or the music it's adam larson there's an online store button there um you know instagram is uh, uh important too so it's the same thing handles adam larson jazz and uh, i got a new record coming out on robodope uh uh on september 6th so uh if you're into supporting music um more than a stream then you can get that right from the website uh as well but uh thanks for having me guys i appreciate it man so uh, what did you think about everything that adam had to say i mean i guess we're kind of on the same page on a lot of ways. So you probably are already used to that kind of perspective, but I mean, I know you've talked to him a little bit when you saw him in Florida, but what was your kind of takeaway from that? I mean, I'm always um, like one of my favorite things is being able to hear someone um, talk in a setting where they're um, preaching or they're in like a more formal setting, you know, like they're talking to a wide masterclass, you know, and, and you have to hear how they, portray their thoughts there and then how they do it in a smaller setting um, where it's a little bit more direct and maybe they have, you know, they're more aware of your, your opinions on things and all. Um, and the cool thing about like you and Adam and um, I mean, a couple of guest artists that came through FSU is like, you guys both don't, you don't, you don't show face. Like you show face in the sense of like, you know, like you dress appropriately, you know, you, you're not cursing and whatnot, but like, you you just tell it how like you guys really think it is um and we were talking about it beforehand uh, of like you know what what should we talk to adam about like what do we think would be uh good good topics and whatnot and like he really is someone that just hustles um and he talked about that some at fsu and we talked about that like picking him up in the um you know when i i picked him up i think i like 1230 at night or something just because uh, David Detweiler who was the sax professor he was like hey man this is like kind of late like I got a family can you can you snag this and I was like yeah sure uh and you know we got in the car and he was just like one of those guys where he's like cool man so what are you doing and what do you, you know what what are your what are your thoughts and stuff going on right now and like we had a very um uh provocative conversation about like the jazz world I guess you could say, you know, um, and I think mm -hmm. that's just that's just the kind of guy that he is. You know, he's not. I mean, of course, like we're not all going to commit career suicide if our thoughts are maybe not along with the masses. Um, but he, he's going to tell it to you how it is. And, you know, I think that's a really respectable thing when you're trying to get advice, at least at least as a, you know, a young musician trying to figure things out. For sure. I mean, I think a part of it is a. Uh... I don't know. I, I I hesitate to use this word, but 
almost like generational in the fact that like everything is so transparent now or like at least for someone that's like myself that's like documenting so much of you know not everything in my life but just like lots of things along the way thoughts and master classes and you know whatever it's like you know that stuff is out there so you might as well just tell the truth you know you want somebody to come be like well you said this then and then right. now you say this and like you're acting different now i don't know it's just like, i think it's important just to like not to be rude about things but just to be straight up you know well, that, I mean, that's very interesting because I think a spot where we see that all the time is musicians um, around the age of Winton or Winton in specific, where like they really bring up the stuff that they were saying at a very young age. You know, I when I was at Fairfield, like we had people like Russell Malone come through, um, Winton came through, Branford came through, um, McBride mm-hmm. came through at some point. And those are people that are like very big figures. They all got... I would say, you know, a pretty good start, at least <laughs> at a young age. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's a different time, but. Yeah. But they, they, like you say, like we, you don't want people being like, Hey, well you said this, you know, X amount of years ago, but that's also a thing too, because like your opinions change incredibly. Like I was talking to someone the other oh, day. Oh, totally. Um, and you know, I was probably more ignorant than most <laughs> in mm-hmm. high school, like in my regards to like classical music. Uh, and, you know, mm-hmm. it might've been because I just felt like that's, that was the thing that my school did. Like they didn't necessarily highlight jazz. And so like, if you wanted to be a serious musician going on, like we were going to show you some great symphonies and like, you know, when that gets shoved down your throat for so long, you're like, look, I don't want to do it, you know, whatever. And uh, I hit up someone the other day and I was talking about Bella Bartok. And they were just like amazed that everything's come like full circle now. And (laughs) right. And I sat back and I was like, well, his stuff's killing. Like I'm not knocking it, but you know, you just, I'm, you know, six years older and and my perspective has changed. And I I think just because necessarily something you said though has changed or taken a different perspective does not mean that you're like showing face, you know, it could have like literally just been a change of perspective. Sure. Yeah, no, you're right. And I think about that too. And my opinions have changed as well. I've all, like you said, everybody's does, but there's something about, I feel like you can tell when someone is saying what they think and someone is saying what they think other people want them to say, or that they have a persona that they speak from or something like that. I don't know exactly how to describe it and I won't call anybody out, but you know, there's certain people that act a certain way when the, you know, when the red light is on, you know, when they're being recorded or they're in front of a group of people, they act one way and then maybe they aren't exactly that way at other times, you know? Yeah. But I mean, that's also in like, I completely agree. Um, and Again, like we we've talked about that before, and I think like we, as musicians that are kind of that have kind of been through the game a little bit. I mean, you've been through the game like a lot more than I have, um, but we can notice that. But I think we also like there is a there is a little bit of that like you have to do, you know, because they're like especially when you're going and giving master classes at school, you know, I'm yeah. not going to talk to them the same way that someone might've given me a lesson at 1130 at night after playing a gig and drinking some wood, you know, like there is, there is oh, part sure. of it that like, yeah. we gotta, 
clean up and and you know smooth around the edges and all. But I, I don't. I also enjoy the rough around the edges part. Like some people, who was I know Russell Malone came to school, and I mean I don't feel like you would be upset with me saying this, but someone was playing. Um, you know, they did the thing where they were like, "Hey, give me a group," and like the group had already been pre-decided, and they, you know, they already already talked about uh-huh. the team to play. Um, and of course, they had called some AABA uh, medium to up swing tune, and he's like, "I want to hear mm-hmm. a ballad." And he had him play Sophisticated Lady, and they started uh, filling the space, and he just like cut him off, and like you know wasn't sweet about it, but he's like, "Stop playing all that stuff," and I think he did yeah. use the word stuff. But he's like, you know, play the melody like how the melody was written because that melody is significantly better than anything you just did. And like for a lot of people, like that's being really abrasive. But it's all like I think it's very important. I mean, the same thing happened when I was out in Aspen last summer with with uh, and and Terion Gully was there and he gave a uh, someone was talking. It was like Reginald Veal or, or Peter Martin and they're giving a speech. And Terion just kind of like when it got to him, he like was like, hey, I don't understand why only half the band seems like they're writing any of this stuff down. Like, y- yeah, you guys are good and like you're you're here, but like, man, man, this guy's saying stuff. Like, this is you know, this is him. Like, why are you guys not? What the hell are you doing? You know? And I sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I I appreciate. I mean, of course, there's like there's a way to do that and not be a dick. Yeah, um, of course. But I don't know. I mean, it's it always. Like we always talked about it that that like it at school, you know, it comes from a place of love. It doesn't come from a place of like putting down or I'm better than you. Yeah. I mean it has a place in the history of the music for sure. I mean, you gotta be honest, you know. I guess sometimes sometimes I guess in the our music, like that's the, you know, most honest thing you can say. It's just like it's not happening. Just saying it and not beating around the bush, you know. Yeah. Plus, I mean, if you, I feel like that's like the bands that I've had the best, um, and I say band, like group of friends <laughs> playing at school that I've had like the best um, growth are the ones where like literally we we were comfortable enough with each other where we didn't have to beat around the bush. Like we knew that me telling someone it wasn't happening or them telling me it wasn't happening in a rehearsal was not them being like, hey, Alan, I hate you and you're an asshole. <laughs> You know, right, it was just them right. saying like, hey, you didn't really check out my dear old Stockholm as much as you should have. And th- like, this isn't happening right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, anyway, so uh, thanks for bring- thinking of Adam and bringing him on. I think that was a good call. Um, it's interesting. I'll be interested to kind of keep in touch with him and see how things progress with uh, everything at UMKC. I mean, him and I. You know, we played together in New York, but not that often. I think both of us were kind of doing our own things and kind of running in adjacent circles and not always, you know, we didn't play that many gigs together. But um, it's interesting to see, you know, someone doing similar things, but in a totally kind of a totally different way, you know? Yeah. And I mean, man, it's just like he was that we always talk about how like the jazz world is small. And he was that case where it's like, hey, this thing's not small. It is tiny. Because as we're driving, yeah. you know, I like, as I have done before, I texted you and I was like, man, you know, Adam Larson, like I'm trying to figure out things to talk about or whatnot. And like, he knew a, a lot of the same people that I have in some way, you know, talked to or know of or something in your guys' is like age range, I guess you could say. And it was just like, it's, 
it's incredible how small of a world this is and how like someone may or may not have heard of you or know someone that you know really well um and whatnot like i i've talked to benny Banak and and we've talked and, and thrown ideas off each other and like they were roommates at msm and it's just mm-hmm. like you would never imagine for for that uh conversation to be that easy but you know that's also kind of kind of the cool thing about what we do Oh yeah, I mean, the world. This is a very small, small, small world, and it gets smaller all the time. Now you can just, you know, follow Benny and whoever on Instagram, and then you feel like you know them anyway, right? You're right. That's how that works. <laughs> uh, amazing. Well, Alan, thanks for putting together that episode. Uh, if you have an idea for someone that you'd like to hear on the Hang, we'd love to hear from you. Drop us a line: info at outsideinmusic.com. And uh, until next time, uh, we'll see you. Well, there'll be some other episodes in between now and the next hang. But uh, lots of new music coming out this month, this year. And uh, we're glad you could be here. So thanks again for listening. And uh, we'll see you in a couple of weeks. <laughs>